What's up everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Da Vinci Cases. Alright, so the way this works is we've got a clinical case followed by a board style question. So we're going to go through the question stem, point out the relevant clinical findings, take a look at the question and the answer choices, and then kind of divert for a minute and go through the relevant concepts to answering the question. Then we'll come back and apply those concepts that we went over to answering the question. Alright, so for this case, we've got a 28-year-old woman with no significant past medical history, is brought to the emergency department after a motor vehicle accident. So this is a young, otherwise healthy woman uh, that's been in a trauma. So the patient is awake, alert, and oriented times four. So this is good. You know, you always want to evaluate mental status, especially in a trauma patient. Uh, one thing, you know, she could have hit her head. So that's one thing that can obviously affect mental status. Also, you know, having decreased perfusion to their brain due to hemorrhagic shock or things like that. Or uh, they could have had a, a traumatic injury to a, the carotid arteries or the vertebral arteries supplying the brain. Her vitals always important to you know evaluate along with mental status when the patient comes in as a trauma. 37 degrees Celsius, so she's afebrile. Heart rate of 107, so she's a little bit tachycardic. Nothing too crazy, but uh, that's to be expected with a trauma. She's 136 over 88, so her blood pressure is a little bit high. She's otherwise healthy, so this is a little bit high for her. Respiration of 20, so this is relatively normal. Uh, and then her O2 sat is 98%. So at this point, she's, she's stable. That's the big thing, you know, when you're triaging trauma patients, are they stable or not? So she, her mental status is baseline. Uh, she's afebrile. She's um, mildly tachycardic, mildly hypertensive, breathing fine on room air. So she's stable. She's in, she's in okay shape despite what she's just been through. You know, usually these patients get a bunch of scans. So she's got some x-rays. They reveal two broken ribs treated non-operatively. So whenever you see broken ribs, you definitely want to be paying attention for uh, pneumothorax. So she gets a full body CT or the, the famous pan scan, as we call it in radiology. Uh, it doesn't reveal anything. So luckily for her, she doesn't have any internal organ injuries. Uh, she doesn't have any internal bleeding. So that's good. Um, so she's in good shape. She, you know, her vitals are stable. She's, her mental status is stable. There's no internal hemorrhage, which is good. So she has a central venous catheter that is placed and then a complete blood count, CBC, and complete metabolic panel, along with a urine drug screen, are taken before the patient is taken to the surgical intensive care unit. So this is common for patients that have been in traumas to be sent to the SICU or the surgical intensive care uh, for close monitoring. Um, although this patient isn't crashing, you know, unfortunately with trauma patients, they, uh, their status can change. So it's always a good thing to, to watch them and, and uh, keep an eye on them. Uh, however, 30 minutes after the patient arrives in the SICU, she develops acute, severe shortness of breath. She begins breathing rapidly using accessory respiratory muscles. That's never a good thing. When you see a patient using accessory respiratory muscles, that means they are in respiratory distress. So she is in severe shortness of breath. She's breathing really fast. In this type of scenario, you want to get another set of vitals, and that's what they give us here. So her temperature is 37 degrees Celsius, so she's still afebrile. Her heart rate's considerably higher now. It's 135 versus 107. Her blood pressure has dropped significantly. It's 86 over 60. So before she was mildly hypertensive. Now she's hypotensive. Um, so this is uh, pretty concerning. Her respiration rate is pretty high at 30. And her O2 sat is not good at all. It's 86% on room air. So this is definitely a patient in respiratory distress. This is a patient where if you don't do something quickly, uh, this is a patient that could crash uh, very, very quickly. Uh, so they do an exam. It's notable for distended jugular veins and respiratory distress, which we talk about. 
Distended jugular veins uh, is not a good thing. It often can uh, mean that the right heart is not pumping. And remember that the jugular veins drain into the brachiocephalic veins, and then the brachiocephalic veins form the SVC, and that drains into the right atrium. And then, you know, obviously the right heart pumps to the lungs. And so if there's some kind of either obstruction in the pulmonary vasculature or in the right heart, uh, or the right heart isn't pumping efficiently, that can cause backlog of uh, fluid because it's just like a pipe system back into those jugular veins and cause them to distend. So this is not a good sign. Hypotension with hypoxia and distend. Um, definitely want to be worried about some type of acute thing affecting the lungs or the pulmonary vasculature. The CBC and the CMP are normal. So the CBC, the fact that the CBC is, is normal tells us that she is not anemic. So that's a good thing. If, you know, her hemoglobin was like three, you know, you definitely would want to scan her again and be worried about, you know, that she's hemorrhaging. You know, although the initial scan didn't show anything, um, you know, it's only been 30 minutes. Theoretically, she could start bleeding, but thankfully her CBC is normal. CMP is normal, so she doesn't have any too crazy electrolytes. And then her, her urine drug screen is negative. So that's important that, you know, you could think if, if someone goes into, you know, where she's compromised, her respiratory status is compromised. Maybe she had, you know, taken some illicit substances, you know, before the accident. It could have, you know, now come into full effect. So the fact that urine drug screen is negative is also important as well. So it tells us that it's not due to some type of uh, substance that she consumed. So the question is, which of the following is the most likely pathogenesis of this patient's condition? So we kind of have to figure out what is going on here and then kind of deduce what these different causes are. So this is a, this is a question that really, you got to really be good at deciphering the clinical data and really putting it all together and what it means and then using that to uh, cross off these answer choices. So like we always do, we got to just uh, summarize things. So it's a young trauma patient with two broken ribs that are treated non-operatively. That's important because, you know, with surgery obviously introduces all other types of potential complications. So at this point, she hasn't been treated with any surgery. She was initially stable on pre presentation, but she rapidly bec uh, becomes critically ill with respiratory distress. This patient also develops uh, hypotension with distended veins, suggesting a right-sided heart failure potentially. Uh, her CBC was negative for anemia, and her CT didn't demonstrate an, inter any, an internal hemorrhage, uh, and her urine drug screen was negative. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break from the case right now to let you know that DaVinci Cases is brought to you by DaVinci Academy, which provides online video courses for the medical basic sciences. These courses are taught using a variety of teaching methods, including bullet point outlines, diagrams, radiology images, and chalk talks to explain the fundamental concepts. We then teach the application of those concepts to numerous clinical pearls that are frequently tested on medical school exams and the USMLE. Our video courses are available on our website, dviacademy.com, as monthly subscriptions starting at $9.99 per month. Each video course has a corresponding outline format textbook as well. You can find the link to our website in the description below. Also be sure to use the discount code DC20 to receive 20% off any of our video courses. Now back to the case. If we come back to the answer choices here, we've got right heart failure is what we're looking at because we're hypotensive and we have these distended veins. So we're definitely considering that. She's in severe respiratory distress. I would say the big thing you wanna be thinking about with that when you have respiratory distress coupled with right heart failure, is pulmonary embolism, no doubt about it. And I mean, this is something that any type of trauma patient you wanna be, you wanna be uh, thinking about that. 
and as you kind of peek at the answer choices here, there's actually a couple different things that, you know, the classic thing we think of is someone gets a DVT in their leg and it travels up and you certainly want to be worried about that. But as we'll go through here, there's some other causes that you can, that can cause pulmonary embolus for trauma patients. This first uh, answer choice, thrombosis, occluding the right coronary artery, that's a myocardial infarction. It's an MI. I mean, look, this patient is a young patient. She doesn't have any other notable past medical history. There's no mention of congenital heart defects. She, her urine drug scheme is negative, so it's not like, you know, she consumed uh, some type of substance like cocaine or, uh, that could have induced a, a myocardial infarction. She's otherwise uh, young. You know, you typically see these substernal chest pain. She's not complaining of any chest pain. Um, in older adults that often have, you know, multiple risk factors for cardiovascular disease. Pneumothorax, definitely a consideration in a, in a trauma patient. The thing is you got to pay attention. When, when trauma patients usually, especially penetrating trauma, is you think about tension pneumothorax, where you actually have like some type of, you know, external injury to the pleura. Spontaneous pneumothorax, if you recall, is actually when you have trauma inside. So if you have your lungs like this, and then you've got your, your ribs, this is like a coronal section, and then you got your pleura, you know, surrounding. So attention, pneumothorax is when you break the pleura from outside, typically. You know, it's typically like a stab wound, gunshot wound, pen, some type of penetrating trauma to that outside. Spontaneous, however, is more common in patients with COPD, you know, emphysema, where you've really broken down that pulmonary structure and architecture. Uh, or patients that are on ventilators, so patients in the ICU, patients that are intubated, you know, the settings are set too high where you're basically flooding too much air in there. And essentially what happens is, you know, you have these alveoli, these little, you know, balloons or sacs within the lungs. And what happens is they pop. They essentially pop and they let air out into the pleura here. Now, the thing is, is this patient doesn't have COPD. She's not on a ventilator. And then typically you're going to see a pneumothorax on imaging. You're going to see, you know, a pocket of air in the pleural space, and it's going to be very clear. You can even see that on an x-ray, you can much more easily see it on a CT scan, and you just don't see it. Uh, you know, she got a full body scan, so that means she would have had her lungs scanned all the way top to bottom, and they just don't see that. Aspirated mucus, including the right primary bronchus. So this could definitely send you into uh, respiratory distress. This would be, you know, an aspiration. And this can happen in trauma patients. It's more common if the patients are altered. Uh, it's, you know, like we say here. It's also, it's very common in, you know, like nursing home patients, elderly patients, alcoholics, patients that, you know, are, again, just are either altered mentally or they're not moving very much. They're just kind of lying around in bed, things like that. Again, the imaging would have showed mucus plugging and inflammation. Uh, you know, around that primary bronchus, you know, again, this certainly could cause someone to go, especially if they aspirate, you know, they could very easily quickly go into respiratory distress. But again, this just doesn't seem to fit the clinical picture. Again, it's all about interpreting the clinical picture here and what it means. So this just doesn't fit. So fat embolism, this is common in patients with long bone fractures. So yes, she did have some fractures, but there are the ribs. The ribs aren't typically considered long bones. The long bones are, you know, like the femur, humerus, you know, tibial fractures, you know, those type of, you know, long bones in the extremities is typically, you know, clavicle also could potentially be considered a long bone. And so what happens is, you know, the bone marrow has a bunch of fat in it. And so the bone breaks and the bone marrow releases fat into the circulation. 
And so what happens is, is that you have this clump of fat that goes up just like how a clot from a, a deep vein in a leg would go. You know, it goes up through the venous system and gets cl clots off in the pulmonary vasculature. A frequent association with a fat embolism is patients who undergo orthopedic operations. So especially they say like, oh, a patient comes in after a car accident, they have a broken femur, they went to surgery for uh, surgical fixation of the fracture, and then they developed um, this triad afterwards. So hypoxia, so definitely, you know, respiratory distress. They often have neurological symptoms. You know, patient who was otherwise had normal baseline mental status, you know, ANO times four, they become confused, they're lethargic. And that's because essentially you, you're spraying these clots. You can, you know, essentially you'll spray them to the lungs, but then you can spray these fat clots into the brain and that can cause these type of symptoms as well. And then this petechial rash because these clots are going to the skin as well. And so if you see this triad in a patient that had, you know, a long bone fracture that especially if they underwent surgical fixation with orthopedics, that's kind of a slam dunk for a fat embolism. And you just don't see that. She had some fractures. They were treated non-operatively. She didn't have a femur fracture, humus fracture, anything like that. She didn't have any orthopedic procedures. She doesn't have any, you know, they're not mentioning a change of mental status. She doesn't have this rash. She does have hypoxia. So it doesn't seem to be the case here. So this last one, air embolism, occluding the pulmonary outflow tract. So this is commonly seen in patients that receive central venous catheters. Now this is going all the way back to here. Now, this is something you could easily blow by. Now, it's not uncommon to get venous, central venous catheters, and we'll go over what central venous catheters are in more detail. You probably have some idea, but you know, we'll give you a little bit better picture. It's a, it's a term that gets thrown around a lot in the hospital, and we'll just clarify that for you and why this is important. So again, this really goes back to that you gotta pay attention to every detail in these stems very, very frequently. Every, de every single detail is put in there for a reason. Again, it's a very common to put a central venous catheter in a patient going to the surgical ICU. But that being said, you will, you know, when you see that, you want to keep in mind the risks that that puts them at risk for an air embolism. And so the other thing is like IR procedures, interventional radiology procedures, because again, with those procedures, we are often accessing either the arterial system or the venous system with catheters that could obviously introduce air. Uh, cranial surgeries as well um, can place patients. So you know, neurosurgeons, you know, for example, so like a trauma patient ends up, you know, having like a subdural hematoma drained. So this is just a diagram to illustrate the placement of a central venous catheter and then also explain to you how you can introduce air and cause an air embolus. So a central venous catheter or CVC, central just means that it terminates centrally, meaning that it terminates at this cavoatrial junction, the junction of the SVC and the right atrium. The idea is to introduce you know, fluids, medications directly into the heart so those can then get pumped quickly out to the rest of the body. When you're placing these, kind of the main purpose is to give yourself direct access to give, like I said, fluids, meds. Uh, you can also take labs, venous labs. So you can't take like an arterial uh, blood gas. You could take a venous blood gas. You could take other labs. And the nurses really like these because it makes their job a little bit easier. They can just uh, quickly give meds. And these are typically larger caliber than just your standard peripheral IV. So you can give larger uh, boluses of fluid, larger boluses of meds. Uh, you can also have, you know, three different lumens, as we show here, that kind of run down and you can introduce, you know, you can be giving fluids, meds, all of the above, or three different types of meds or more. You can have uh, four ports as well. So these are the different ports. These are where you would introduce, you know, fluids or meds, and they connect in here where they're joined together and kind of run together in this uh, portion here of the catheter that then terminates down here. 
you place these catheters by first you use ultrasound guidance and then you have a needle and you pierce the skin typically at the base of the neck to access the internal jugular vein it's a nice big vein we can easily see it on ultrasound uh, you can also do it in the subclavian vein as well so then you when you access the vein with the needle then you run a wire through it and you have a wire that kind of runs all the way down here and then you place the catheter over the wire to uh, have it terminate down here when you're placing the, the catheter in that's when you can introduce air so you always want to be very careful that so each of these ports has a lock on it and then you can actually put a little cap on them too as we'll show in the next slide because i'll show you a real picture of one of these catheters that's where you can introduce air so you're always careful to cover these as, as someone who's put in a number of central lines you always want to be cognizant of the fact that you can introduce air and you want to be covering these as much as possible because you could see if you leave this open you know air can come in a little bit bubble of air comes in and it comes all the way down here and then it goes right into the right side of the heart and then it can go right uh, into the pulmonary outflow tract and obstruct that or the pulmonary vasculature and cause a, a pulmonary embolus as you can see so this is just a real picture of a central venous catheter just to give you a better idea so you know when you do your rotations in the hospital you can see, you'll see these so this is again that point where uh, you have these ports that come off so this is a triple lumen catheter you know there's quadruple lumen catheters there's dual lumen catheters with just two ports here's each of these ports you can see these little locks like this here's those caps i was talking about so through each of these you can give meds fluids take labs um, and again you, you know you'll see uh, the nurses when they after they give meds or take or give fluids you know they, they are always certain to cap these off and lock them so that you're not introducing because even when the patient's just sitting in the room not necessarily during the procedure afterwards if it's just sitting there you can uh, have air introduced that way as well and you can see you know air comes in comes all the way out and it can come out this way and again and be introduced right into the heart so to come back to this this is a patient that was a trauma patient came in after a motor vehicle accident that was initially stable had a central venous catheter placed that introduced an air embolus in and ended up causing pulmonary embolism these are patients that if this isn't dealt with immediately this can actually be fatal this can actually these patients can code pretty easily it's uh, it's a it's something not to take lightly um, one thing you can do that's kind of interesting from an anatomy standpoint is so if you have the heart like this so this is the right heart and this is kind of just a crude drawing so here's your tricuspid valve here here's your pulmonary outflow track here So that's the, where the pulmonic valve is going to be. So here it's talking about the, it's occluding the, pul the pulmonary outflow tract. So if you have it like this, what you actually do is you turn the patient into left lateral decubitus. Essentially, you turn them on your, their side. Because remember, air is less dense than fluid. So it's going to flow upwards. So versus um, here where they're you know, lying supine, if you turn them on their side, the heart is going to be like this. So again, here's the tricuspid valve, here's the right ventricle, again, right atrium, right ventricle, right atrium. And the thought is, is that the air bubble will move off of the pulmonic outflow tract and get caught up here uh, instead of obstructing blood flow outflow to the uh, pulmonary vasculature. That's something immediately you can do when the patient's, you know, on the table or in the bed is you can turn them into a left lateral decubitus position to help 
you know, prevent this from getting any worse. I don't know if that's necessarily something you'd see on an USMLE step one or even step two question, but it's just kind of a good practical thing to know. So I'll leave you with that. All right, that's all I have for you this time. Be sure to check out all the DaVinci Cases videos available on our YouTube channel and our website, dviacademy.com. The PDF notes for every DaVinci Cases is also available on our website. Also be sure to check out our podcast, The DaVinci Hour, where we interview attendings and residents across medicine to learn more about their experiences, their specialties, and to get their insights on navigating a career in medicine. You can find the DaVinci Hour podcast on our website or any platform where podcasts are found. Lastly, you can find all of our video courses and corresponding outline format books on our website. Don't forget to use the discount code DC20 for 20% off.